Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 will begin with verse 19 in, in just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Is your best friend in this room? I want you to think about him or her. Is your best friend in this room? Now, for many of you, you would say, yes, he is or yes, she is. And you're thinking about your spouse. And that is awesome. My best friend in all the world is my wife. There's no question about it. Is your best friend in this room? Maybe your best friend is someone else seated in this room. Maybe they're not anywhere near here today. But I want you to think about what that best friend means to you. Why is he or she your best friend? What is it about them, him, her, that has won that special place in your heart? So as we examine Verses 19 through 30 this morning in Philippians chapter 2. I want you to think about that. And and I want all of us to reflect upon the friendship that we're going to see in this passage. And then our role and our responsibility to those around us. So reflect on that this morning as we look at this text. Philippians, from servants, that is from Paul and Timothy, two servants, the believers in Philippi, the church in Philippi, about the servant that is about Jesus Christ. That's the theme of our journey through Philippians. And and Paul lays out a logical progression in chapter 2 as he gives to the church and to us a call to humility and to serve. He says in this chapter, we are united in Christ. We're one in Christ as believers. We're one in Christ. And then he calls on us in our oneness to be humble and to serve those around us. And then he proceeds to give us the most incredible example of exactly what he's been talking about as in verses 8. 9, 10, and 11, he talks about Jesus, who being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. An incredible passage of Scripture. Jesus has the title Lord, and every knee shall bow. We have the opportunity to bow now in response to His call to our hearts, but understand one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Last week we talked about verses 12 through 18, uh, the lighting up the room as, as, as Paul is saying to us, light up the room. You know, they're, they're people by the sheer force of their personality and their, their joyous walk with God. They come in the room and they just light it up. And that, that's some of you who are here today. You just light up the room when you come in. 
Now, the others aren't here today, but you know there are some who walk in and the lights go out. <laughs> but we are called upon to, to, to light up the room, and he tells us exactly how to do that. By working out, by shining, and by rejoicing. By working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning, not that we work for our salvation. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. To people who are already saved. So he is saying to the already saved, work out your salvation. That is, live it out, grow it out, show it out. Grow, sanctify, be holy, become more and more like Jesus in the passing of time as you walk with the Savior. And then in verse 13, he tells us that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Oh, that takes off a lot of burden. I'm thinking, how am I going to do all the It's not me. It's him working in us. And that's why all of us are able to turn on the lights, as it were, to, to, to light up the room, because it is Him working in us. And then He wants to give, Paul does, a concrete example of what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and again, I'm amazed. You remember what it was if you were here last week. He doesn't say, here's the example I'm giving to you. Read your Bible every day. Well, that's a good thing to do. Paul would have been all for that. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say, pray every day. Pray without ceasing. He does say that in Thessalonians, but he doesn't say it here as a concrete example of, of, of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say, go to church every Sunday. Paul would certainly have been an advocate of that. He doesn't say serve the poor, educate the less fortunate. All those things he would have been for. But what he says as the concrete example is do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh. Oh. Well, I told you last week the word grumbling, gogusman. Uh, and so I wonder how many times that word was heard around town this week. I heard it in my household. Yes, she did say it to me one time when I was complaining about something. She's my best friend, my wife. She just looked at me and said, go goose mine. I thought that wasn't for me. That was for them. Without grumbling or arguing, dialogismon. Dialogue comes from that, but there's no dialogue when there's arguing, as we see in Washington every day. Well, let's look in verses 19 through 30. Now, Paul gets really personal. He gives us an illustration of everything that he's laid out. It's very helpful to us. He goes from theory to practice to example or illustration. So stand with me. As we read these extraordinarily, powerfully personal words of Paul, beginning with verse 19. Here's what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard you, he, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore... I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we think today about the illustration of the mind of Christ. And you may be seated. And we see it right here, the illustration. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And here we see an illustration of that in First Timothy and then Epaphroditus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Timothy for a minute. Then we're going to talk about Epaphroditus. Then we're going to talk about you and me. That's where we're headed this, this, this morning. By the way, this is an often skipped Passage. A lot of times folks go through Philippians and they start seeing these personal words and they go right to chapter 3. But we're, we're not going to do that because there's something important here for us. So, Timothy, co-author of, of this epistle, because back in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people, all God's saints. But here, Paul, as it were, co-ops Timothy to use him as an illustration. Now, we meet Timothy for the first time in Acts chapter 16 in verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Then we go on through the journeys of Paul. Frequently, we find Timothy's name. Hebrews 13.23, we find Timothy had been released from prison. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy written to, uh, to Timothy, young Timothy. And in fact, we remember with Mother's Day coming up, we remember this. 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So here's what Paul says about Timothy. He's with me. He's here. He's with me. I trust him. I love him. I depend on him. Sounds like a description of a good friend, maybe best friend, doesn't it? I I trust him. I love him. I depend on him. and, And I want to send him to you in Philippi because I know he will return and give me an accurate report of your progress in the gospel. And I also know that he will accurately relay news about me from a position of one who truly, truly loves me and cares about me. Now, Paul alludes here and other places to the fact that there were, there were some who had pretended to love him that in fact did not. But our focus isn't on them. Our focus is on Timothy. So I want us to notice 
three things about Timothy. I want us to notice the compassion of a friend, the companionship of a son, and the character of a man of God. That's Timothy. So first of all, I want us to notice the compassion of a friend. Timothy was compassionate to Paul. When you're hurting, and all of you have been at some time or another, maybe you are now, if you aren't right now, you know you will be sometime, you know it's coming. When you're hurting, friends reveal themselves. Timothy came to prison as often as he could to visit Paul, and he was not concerned that proximity to Paul could place him in jeopardy. Timothy loved Paul. Prison was hard. And, and, and Paul could use some compassion from somebody. And he says of Timothy, there is no one else like him. Extraordinary relationship between two men between whom there's a, a significant difference in age. Paul, much older than Timothy, and and an incredible relationship. No, no one else like him. Now, is who is that person in your life of whom you would say there's no one else like him or her? Who is that person? Maybe the best friend we talked about earlier. Paul describes Timothy, and he uses words that express love and trust. He's dependable. He's prayerful. There's an extraordinarily powerful relationship between Paul and Timothy. So that leads me to ask myself and you, are you that to someone else? You know, as we reflected a moment ago on who is that person who is like that for you, are you like that for someone else? It's obvious that Paul had been wounded many times by faux friends, false, false friends. But in Timothy, he finds the compassion of a true friend. Second thing that I want us to notice about Timothy is the companionship of a son. That's the terminology that Paul uses in talking about Timothy, not a biological son, but a son in the gospel, one whom Paul had trained. Paul had trained Timothy in in the gospel and and in ministry. And they spent a lot of time together. They traveled together. And by the way, you really want to know what somebody's like, take a trip with them. (laughs) Yeah, take a trip with them. You'll find out what they're really like. It's a love relationship like you would find between a father and a son, an older man and a, and a younger man. Having said that, I'm looking at some extraordinarily mature people, and I'm not just talking chronological age. I'm talking about maturity in, in Christ. So I want to throw the challenge out there to some of you to invest yourself in someone younger. Invest yourself in someone younger. You see younger men, you see younger men around the church. Ladies, you see younger ladies around the church. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Then pick up the phone and call one of them 
you know what? I'd love to get to know you. Can I take you to breakfast or lunch or whatever? Can, can I, can we take a few minutes to get to know each other? Now you don't have to sit down and pretend that now I'm here to help you. <laughs> you, you don't have to let the Holy Spirit take it. Okay. Just become friends, get to know the person and see where God will take it. Because in there are many cases in which the Holy Spirit will lead you to be a source of strength and encouragement to a younger believer. So I, I encourage you to give that very prayerful consideration. Paul invested himself in Timothy. Now I also want us to notice the character of the man of God. In verse 22, Paul says of Timothy, he's proven himself. And in verse 22, the latter part of the verse, he says he has a servant's heart. That's pretty, uh, you know, much, what, what else could you say? He's proven himself and he's got a servant's heart. That, that's really, that covers the waterfront. You don't need to go on and on forever. That, that's enough. Timothy's extraordinary heart for Christ. Stephen Ambrose wrote a book called Comrades. Some of you read it. It's a bestseller. In it, he said, friends never cheat each other or take advantage or lie. Friends do not spy on one another, yet they have no secrets. Friends glory in each other's successes and are downcast by the failures. Friends minister to each other, nurse each other. Friends give to each other, worry about each other, stand always ready to help. Perfect friendship is rarely achieved. But at its height, it is an ecstasy. I think Paul would say, that's that's it. That captures the essence of the relationship between young Timothy and myself. So there's Timothy. Now, what about Epaphroditus? Not as well known as Timothy, is he? But very important person. We read about him in verses 25 to 30. Remember when we started Philippians? Epaphroditus is the one who delivered the monetary gift to Paul in prison collected by the church in Philippi. So they collected the gift, gave it to Epaphroditus, and sent him to Rome to give the monetary gift to Paul. Now, right off the bat, one thing of of which you can be sure is this. Epaphroditus was trustworthy. There is no evidence that anybody went with him. They just gave the money to Epaphroditus and sent him hundreds of miles away to Rome to give the gift to Paul. So here is a young man that is trustworthy for the church to give him this money and trust him to deliver all of it into the hands of the Apostle Paul. Now we read that Epaphroditus got sick and Paul lets us know that he almost almost died and the word got back to philippi and paul tells us i know you're in distress the church is in distress to have learned of epaphroditus illness now he's been healed by the grace of god not by the miracle of medicine but by the grace of god and i'm going to send him back to you so you can see him And that will calm your hearts because I know you're still worried about him. So I'm going to send him back. When I send him back, welcome him and honor him because he risked his life for the gospel. Now, 
just a little aside of which I have no proof. But just looking carefully at that text causes me to think there's some reason why Paul feels it's necessary to tell the church in Philippi, welcome him and honor him. Like maybe he was concerned that that would not be the way they would receive him. So Paul wants to take care of that by saying, embrace him, welcome him, honor him. He risked his life for the gospel. Now, I want us to notice Epaphroditus, the man. And all we know about him is what Paul tells us. Paul calls him a brother, a brother in Christ. That name indicates, his name indicates, Epaphroditus, his name indicates that he is likely a Gentile convert because his name would have been derived from the name of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And no Jew or Christian would have ever named their child a name that comes from Aphrodite. Never. So, in all probability, this man named Epaphroditus was a Gentile convert to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says, he is a Christian brother. Wants to make that clear. Don't pay any attention to his name. He is a Christian brother. And he wants everybody to know that. And then he calls him a co-worker implying that in Paul's eyes, Epaphroditus is equal to him. We serve Christ together. He is my co-worker. And then he calls him a fellow soldier. I have been to battle with Aphrodite, with, excuse me, with Epaphroditus. He is a fellow soldier. We've been in spiritual warfare together. Many of you have served in the military, some of you in combat, and you know that there is a bond that forms between you and those with whom you serve, particularly in the stress of a, of a combat situation. So that's what Paul is saying here. I've been in spiritual warfare, spiritual combat with Epaphroditus. He's a fellow soldier. And then he calls him a messenger. And the word in the Greek there is apostolon. Get our English word apostle from it. He says of Epaphroditus, he's an apostle. You sent him to me. And I'm so grateful. And then he calls him a messenger. Uh, they call him a messenger, an apostolon. And he's a good example to us. Now, I also want us to notice about Epaphroditus some distress that surrounds the situation. Distress on Epaphroditus's part because he'd become so ill. Distress on Paul's part because he was afraid Epaphroditus was going to die. And that would have been awful for Paul to have lost this friend. But also Paul would have had this burden. This would have never happened to Epaphroditus if he hadn't come to see me. So Paul is saying, I am so thankful this reduced my anxiety. And Paul lays it out there, doesn't he? This reduced my anxiety because he got well. And the word that Paul uses there for anxiety is exactly the same word that's used of Jesus' distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Same word. So, like Jesus, 
Epaphroditus was obedient even to the point of death. He needed his help. He needed help. He needed mercy to get well and to spare Paul from sorrow upon sorrow. So the picture we get here is pretty clear. The illness of Epaphroditus came because of his trip to Rome. Was it some stomach bug that he caught? Food, water, born? Very possibly so. That would have been something that would have been caused by the journey. He, he left familiarity of home. He comes on this long journey by foot to Rome. And he contracted some ailment, perhaps of the stomach, and it nearly killed him. So Paul says, welcome him. His welcome is important. Welcome him like a hero. Recognize his risk. And, and when I, when I re-read these verses new, numerous times this week, I kept being reminded of the way we welcome our missionaries when they come home. Our heroes on the front line of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them literally risking their lives to live where they live and to serve where they serve and to do what they do. So when they come home, we, we need to treat them like heroes because they are. And we welcome them. Serving Jesus can and likely will cost you something. And so Paul is simply reminding the church in Philippi, when Epaphroditus gets back home, you be certain that you treat him well. Now, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Maybe you learned something today you didn't know about one of those two guys. But they're not insignificant because nothing in the Bible is insignificant. So let's apply this to you and me. What does this say? Other than it's interesting to learn about Timothy, interesting to learn about Paphrodite. What what about about you and me? How do we apply this often skipped over passage to our lives? Number one, be a faithful follower of Christ. Be a faithful follower follower of Christ. There's nothing peripheral about the faith of Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's nothing Sunday morning only sit in a pew and go straight home and forget about it the rest of the week kind of living for Epaphroditus and Timothy. This is the heart of who they are is faithfulness to God And so I think that should stir within us a desire to be faithful to God. Like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, yes. Like Paul, yes. Be faithful. Be a faithful follower of Christ. Number two, honor one another. In Romans 12.10, we're told to honor one another. It also tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 1, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, and 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17 that we are to honor one another. 
Whatever that may mean, we are to let others around us know you're important. And I honor you and I appreciate you. I appreciate your faithfulness to Christ. Honor one another. Number three, serve Jesus and others. Remembering that's the entirety of chapter two of Philippians. That's what the whole chapter is all about. Everything in here got started back in the first two or three verses when Paul reminded us that we are united in Christ. Therefore, we are to be humble and to serve one another. So we end the chapter with a living illustration of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we remind ourselves, serve Jesus and others. Whatever shape or form that may take, and it can be really diverse, the multiplicity of ministries in the life of our church, or just from simply investing your life in some other person. And then number four, strengthen your relationships. Strengthen your relationships. Paul obviously spent much time investing in Timothy, and it would appear in Epaphroditus also, and there was a strength to their relationship. Is there anything more important than our personal relationships with those around us. Strengthen those relationships through the power of Jesus Christ. Because time's running out. Even for the youngest person in this room, time is moving fast. Strengthen those relationships with people that you know. People that God has placed in your path. And maybe sometimes you've wondered why. But there's a reason. Strengthen those relationships. And lastly, because it oozes from every verse in the chapter, be humble. Be humble. Paul talks about it over and over again. He exemplify, he talk, talks about it being exemplified in Jesus and in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. And so in a day in which there's way too much self-exaltation, remember that as followers of Christ, we are to be humble. Humble before God and humble before others. Because we're told, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let's bow together for prayer. In a moment we will stand. Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of our invitation hymn, the invitation hymn that is offered every Lord's Day because there's someone in this room who does not yet know Jesus. And the invitation is from the risen Christ to your heart. You are sensing the tugging of the Holy Spirit even now. And so in a moment when we stand...
and we begin to sing, will you come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's word to share with you that on this Sunday morning, you can enter into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Will you come? And for believers all, all around this room, we determine to be faithful as God works in us. According to verse 13, it is God who is at work in us. Will, will we be found faithful? Will we strengthen relationships? Will, will we be humble? Will we serve others? Will others see Christ in us? Will we let this mind which was in Christ Jesus be in us? Father, I pray that for every believer in this room, the answer to that is yes, yes, I will. Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your strength, I will. And I pray that someone who does not yet know you through your son, Jesus, will come right now, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. In his name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come now as we stand and sing.